So, I visited San Sebastian recently. It's a beach town on the northern coast of Spain, right near the border with France. It was cool. There was a jazz festival going on. It's a beach town, but not in the way I think of beach towns from when I was a kid. You know the kind I mean. Low, shabby rental cottages, ample mini-golf courses, and a place to buy boogie boards in every corner. San Sebastian is a beach city. It's beach-centric, but it's also got busy streets, tall buildings, and even citizens who wear long pants sometimes. I want to compare it to San Diego. You're thinking about it like an American. (laughs) That's David. I met him in San Sebastian. He lives there. He's nice. He also might be right about my mindset. I'm concerned that my Amerocentric experience has trained me to think about cities as being 200 years old when that's basically kindergarten in terms of European history. I must be missing something, right? Well, only one way to find out. To the history books! It's 1189 AD, and San Sebastian has just received a charter from the King of Navarre. Now it's a city. Until now, there really hasn't been a whole lot here. There's some orchards and an abbey nearby that makes cider from the apples. Now though, now the city has to be useful to the King of Navarre. To accomplish this, a fort is built on a hill that juts out into the water, and a wall is built at the settlements at the base of that hill. Here we are, San Sebastian. A lot happens over the next 600 years, as might be expected. San Sebastian is captured, traded, and otherwise bounced between various kingdoms and countries. Every time the city changes hands, old trade routes stick around. Ports get bigger, ships reach as far as the Americas, and as the money flows in, the city builds up. 1808. Napoleon's France suddenly decides it doesn't so much want to be allies with Spain as much as it wants to invade it. The border towns go fast in situations like this, and soon San Sebastian is French. Five years later, the English, that's right, the English, because everybody was in everybody else's war back then, breach the wall and burn the city to the ground. To the ground! Once the dust settles, an architecture competition is held to see how to rebuild the city. The result is the Parte de Viaje, a large square with a tight grid of walking streets. San Sebastian cannot be contained. It's 1863 and the city has just been named the provincial capital. It's time to cast off the marks of war and let urbane cosmopolitanism bloom. The walls are knocked down. The city tumbles out in all directions. Built in the classic Parisian style, of course. So it has that, it's, you know, for almost 100 years it's had, or probably more, it's had this kind of chic. David, again. There's a beach here called La Cancha, and then there's a, you come to like this rock, and there's a tunnel through it, and there's another beach. And the rumor is that the, uh, the visiting kings and queens used to reserve this as a, as a royal beach, this other beach. The rumor, that's what I heard. It's no rumor. Queen Isabel II, told she should spend time by the sea for her health, declares San Sebastian to be Spain's summer capital. High society rolls into town. The shipyards are moved out of the bay to make room for wave baths. It's a good place to spend a week if you're living in Germany, and people do. 
uh, it's a, a holiday destination for Europe. Certainly the city is on its way to being a tourism hotspot, and this continues throughout the early 1900s. However, that doesn't mean there's not room for industry. In 1940, a canal is built out of the river. New neighborhoods pop up deeper inland where previously waters were unnavigable. Industrial production increases and new factories are built on previously unusable riverbeds and marshes. Driven by a need to serve these factories, immigration increases from all parts of Spain as well as internationally. Not having the luxury of, say, the city burning down to drive an organized, planned expansion, slapdash neighborhoods spring up around the periphery of the city to provide homes for the newly arrived immigrants. In the 1990s, there is a brand new push for tourism. Bike lanes are put in, a new convention center is built, and the buses are improved. What I really like about it is the people and the public transportation. I don't think any of that history is surprising, but there is something special there, something I really wasn't expecting. So I'm, I'm going to loop you back through and just, just highlight the specific parts. Here we go. A fort is built on a hill that juts out into the water, and a wall is built at the settlements at the base of that hill. Ports get bigger, and as the money flows in, the city builds up. The English breach the wall and burn the city to the ground. An architecture competition is held to see how to rebuild the city. The walls are knocked down. The city tumbles out in all directions. The shipyards are moved out of the bay. The canal is built out of the river. New neighborhoods pop up deeper inland. New factories are built. Slapdash neighborhoods spring up around the periphery of the city. Bike lanes are put in. A new convention center is built. And the buses are improved. I really thought, coming into this little audio postcard, that Europe's history would have made it stuffy. It would be like an exhibit in the Louvre. The city would be something to respect, but never touch. Instead, it's been kind of a reminder of just how quickly a city can change. Knock it down, build it out, whatever needs to get done. So as I'm sitting here with jazz in my ears for the past three days, something occurs to me. Cities are like jazz. And that probably sounds pretty silly, but I think it's true. There's a loose framing structure to jazz, and you play a solo over the chord changes. Well, it's kind of the same, right? There's a loose framing structure to this city, but every time you come back around, it's different. It just follows the changes. <laughs> 